Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for Upset the Established Order and Everything Becomes Chaos. Overreaction Monday! Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Uh, welcome to the Overreaction Monday. And man, do we have stuff to overreact to. A lot of good games. And there are the list of just absolutely miserable fan bases this week. Pandemic can't stop that. We've got full boat season now and everybody's mad. <laughs> Holy cow, it's trying to go through the list. We do focus on the negative here. We do. No sunshine here. Nope. We will start, though, in one place where no one's really that upset. Uh, They're certainly not upset with Notre Dame. Notre Dame fans are giddy. Clemson fans are like, eh, see you in a couple weeks. We get the the long-haired mane of Trevor Lawrence back, plus some defensive players. But epic game, double overtime, 47-40, everything you'd want out of a college football game except for delayed uh, replay delays. Good God. I thought they were going to start replaying to make sure the extra points went through. (laughs) I think I stole that from our uh, esteemed uh, editor, Al Toby. (sighs) Brilliant final drive by Ian Book to tie the game after it looked like Notre Dame was beat uh, 91 yards in the final minute. That had everything. If you've watched Notre Dame football the last 15, 20, whatever years, They'd get to the eight-yard line and and get stuffed, right? And instead, they got it done. Brian Kelly does not panic and go for two. I I don't know if that's panic, but he didn't do it. He stayed the course. They make it all the way to double OT and get a couple of huge sacks uh, and win the game. Uh, Pat Forty, you were there. I believe I saw you storming the field. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were in the middle. I thought I saw you. You are now in podcast quarantine. <laughs> Shame on you. Uh, Your thoughts from South Bend. What a night. It was so fun. I mean, this was like all the way up to and through the field storming. It was like normal college football. You know, it was a great game and it sounded loud in there. They said the attendance was 11,011. I think they lied personally. I mean, I was here for the, the game when they played Duke in the opener and I think they announced 10. This looked like a lot more to me this time. I, you know, I can't say for sure. And it sounded like 50 at the end of the game. And then when they rushed the field, it looked like 
when it happens at Camp Randall or Auburn or any of those places when you have a big victory. And that just felt very normal. Now, you know, will there be a price to pay? Who knows? We'll see. I mean, Notre Dame has had its COVID issues uh, already this year. They had a game postponed. They had an outbreak on campus. Their president went to the White House super spreader event and came back with the virus. So they've been through the ringer on this. And now we'll see if they go back through the ringer because they put several thousand people on the field, cheek and jowl with their players. Uh, and Brian Kelly, who was so confident, I, boy, what a week he had. A great, great week of game planning, of in-game coaching, everything. And he told the players their walkthrough Friday, he said, you know, when we win, they're going to storm the field. So be prepared and let's try to get to the tunnel so we don't get caught up in a, a bad situation. But, you know, you, I was watching it and I was like, this is awesome. And I was like, ooh, is this a good idea? Oh, this is great. Ooh, this might be bad. You know, <laughs> you just don't know in a pandemic what how to react to this. And it showed me the emotion of football is unstoppable, right? Of a big victory. Not even the pandemic. And all these all these students, I think most of whom have tried pretty hard to do the right thing. They're like, no, we just beat number one Clemson, man. We're going. And so there they were. And the the PA announcers trying to get them off the field, bargaining with them. We'll find out. Here's the here's the thing. Last thought on that. Uh, we, can, we can talk more about the game, but the field storming. Notre Dame shuts down its campus in two weeks and sends all the students home for Thanksgiving for like six. I hope they don't take a virus with them to every corner of the United States where Notre Dame students are from. We'll see. I hope this all turns out to just be, you know, a big laugh and a whoo. That was close. That was fun. Uh, but it was it was a great Great night at Notre Dame Stadium from a football standpoint. Let me just jump in, Pete, with one of the great quotes of college football. As the fans stormed the field, the, the Notre Dame Stadium PA announcer imploring them to get out. We want everyone to be safe and sound here. Please make your way off the field. Use any open aisle, please. And if the ushers could help out a little bit, that would be helpful. I don't think they had any ushers. I think they only employed like a fifth of the ushers, right? Oh, yeah. And they're, no all they're all 108 years old. Yeah. They've all been there since era Parsegian, you know? <laughs> Not good security by Notre Dame. Okay, the band is leaving. The fans should too. Okay? He's just, he's just like, it's like your mother lecturing you. <laughs> the players left. They start saying, okay. And then finally... This seems to be what did it. If you stay too long, it'll be last call somewhere. <laughs> and, and Notre Dame Stadium cleared out. Uh, yeah. I, let me say this quickly. A couple things on this. Because we really want to talk about football. Notre Dame, uh, there was their social distancing in the stands was terrible. Yeah. Okay. And if this was the SEC, everyone would be snickering about how these crazy people down the South don't care. I watch SEC games and those fans are in their little pot. They're, they're dotted around the stadium really well. They come up. You can dislike the plan. You can think a hundred thousand should be there. I don't care if you have a plan, stick to the plan. Yeah. And yeah. in the South, they're sticking with the plan. Whatever the hell Notre Dame's plan was not, not followed at all. The fans were all, all the students were grouped together. So that was ridiculous. And then there was no security to keep them off the field. I will say this, Notre Dame, in fairness, Notre Dame students are tested, and obviously they can catch it since they get tested. Most of them had mass. Also, it's not a zero-sum game here. It's not black and white. If the fan, I would put students, I would put students in all of these stadiums and keep the fans out, the paying, the adults. 
those 10,000 students at Notre Dame are either in that big stadium where there's at least a chance to spread out outdoors or they're in dorms, apartments, and bars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Or the school has to set up big screening TVs in the middle of the quad, which is the exact same thing. Right. So this was not good. Poor job by Notre Dame. They got to tighten it up. I mean, obviously, I don't know what they got. One more home game or something like that. But terrible job by Notre Dame. But the people going crazy over this, like these kids were going to be hugging each other somewhere. That's for sure. It's just That's not the sure. linebacker in or or in the hallway of the, you know, Jones right. dormitory or whatever, because mm-hmm. they're all going to rush out into the quad anyway. So they're storming something. This was not good. Terrible optics. Notre Dame, poor job. And if this was Alabama or Florida, everyone be go. Oh, see, look at those hillbillies. They can't do anything. Well, it's genius old Notre Dame. We know everything. Well, you don't know how to do this. So. I, I'm neither outraged nor sympathetic, but when you beat Clemson, the kids are gonna. Uh, they shouldn't. No, but, but gonna, that's what they're so. gonna do. That's it. Pete, that's the, your thoughts. Yeah, I, so much, so much to unpack here, right? I'm gonna go back to the, the the football aspect of it. You know, 27 years since Notre Dame last beat a number one. All the trappings of lore. Pat obviously didn't experience this, but if you're watching at home, you have to switch channels because the presidential uh, elect address is coming on. Like you could just like. There, there's like these moments where games feel bigger, and that's kind of just one of those things that like 20 years from now, people are going to remember that as much as they uh, re- remember, uh, you know, the fumble return for a touchdown or, or something like that. So uh, just it, it, it had a little bit of everything from from that pinch of lore to, you know, we're going to be talking about Notre Dame Clemson again probably in six, seven weeks. And it could be a completely different Clemson team, not just Trevor Lawrence, but obviously the three key starters on defense, including Tyler Davis on the defensive line. My biggest football takeaway of the night was just how Clemson's offensive front got manhandled. Like, to me, that's the best sign. Like, is Notre Dame belong in the playoff? Can they go toe-to-toe with these elite teams? We've been asking some version of that question throughout, you know, I mean, going back to uh, Notre Dame playing Alabama for the BCS title game. To me, that was the wow of the night. I believe it was like 33 carries for 34 yards. It might have been traversed. Uh, Travis Etienne was uh, was was pretty much a non-factor, which is which is stunning because I think he's easily one of the best five players in college football, if not uh, if not more. He's never a non-factor. That's what yes. was that was amazing. They did a great job on him. Yes. So. Credit Clark Lee, the defensive coordinator, when Notre Dame needed the stops in the second overtime, Dalen Hayes almost body slammed DJ Uwe Ungalale, who's 6'4", 250 pounds. Like, that's a difficult guy to body slam. So they they got the pressure when they need to. They had the answers when they uh, when they had to have them. And I really think when you when you dial into this game, there's there's an argument that Notre Dame's just self-destruction in the first half kept the game close. Uh, they settled for field goals, but there was the offsides flinch on the goal line. Uh, there was the, the the tight end mayor drops the ball. That's like a little bit behind him, but you got to kind of make that catch like there were self-inflicted wounds that you could tell Notre Dame was kind of close um, and, and could have conceivably kind of taken a hold of this game and maybe one more uh, one more convincingly. All that said, like if they play again and everybody's full boat, I, I can't sit here on a neutral field. I can't sit here and tell you I'm going to pick the Irish. But like what a fun, compelling night of football. College football, there's like eight or ten programs you can say this about. College football is better when Notre Dame is really humming and really going. So obviously hats off to Brian Kelly. 
you know, all he's really done is win there. And uh, anyone who lived the Charlie Weiss era would uh, would know that. But what a what a fun game. What a fun night. What a fun four hour bubble from pandemics and elections and all the stuff going on in uh, in life. It was a uh, it was truly like the, the game of the year in college football. It, it really was. It was it was so many great players on that field. I think that that there was a lot of points scored, but there was there were great defensive plays. Uh, I thought Notre Dame's defensive line, as you said, and linebackers are really good, and they came to play in a way they better than they had all year. And, and they just they they have talent on that defense. The kid Sean Crawford, really good, strong safety, made a number of big time. He was a big time recruit who'd been injured his whole career. Dalen Dalen Hayes. Uh, had been injured last year. A lot, like these are fifth-year guys that fought to get to finally play how they want to play at Notre Dame, and they showed it. I thought Book was tremendous. The two uh, Tyree and Williams, the two running backs for Notre Dame, are are different level no- Notre Dame running backs than they often have. I don't think they have the receivers. Maybe they usually do. Just a just a terrific game. A lot of lot of different concepts. And big DJ, I'm not going to try to pronounce all the names. I felt bad. Mike Tirico even joked at one point he couldn't. He was struggling with the names in this game. It was like <laughs> he was pretty deft. I thought he did a pretty good job. He there did a like great a, job, but there were yeah. moments you just yes. can't spit out Smith fumbles, right? It's like yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy who has called everything from Olympics to oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to the like- NBA. He's called it all, right? And it's like it just doesn't roll off the tongue, right? Jones with the interception is not right. <laughs> like, oh, um, it, but it was he. So DJ played great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if, uh, 500 yeah. yards. They have 500 yards. Uh, 429. 429. I, think, I mean, yeah. most so, against look, Notre Dame ever. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Carson, Carson so Clemson's Palmer. in great shape going forward. And yeah, Trevor will be better, but Notre Dame should not. There should be no asterisk on this that Trevor Lawrence wasn't there because quarterback play, obviously in a game this close, any margin matters. But quarterback play uh, was not was not the uh, issue. The other one, Michael Meyer, uh, God help these these college <laughs> cornerbacks who are going to try yeah. to tackle this guy for two more years. Yeah, they call him Baby Gronk. I'm like, oh, and he blocks like Gronk. He's a beast, absolute Holy beast. Cow. Yeah. That kid was unstoppable. He made, yeah, he made a drop. I think he was offside. Well, I'll take it, man. A true freshman. He had a little jitters early, but holy cow, is he good? No, there, there were so many good players and making great plays in that game. Uh, it was really fun to watch for that reason, just the talent and that's the thing. DJ, I, like Notre Dame's defense played very well and gave up forty points. Now some of that was overtime, but still, like Notre Dame's game plan, which they have done all year. Keep people in front of you, tackle them, stop them on third down, stop them in the red zone. They mostly did that, except for Clemson just made enough plays to score. I mean, the last Clemson scoring drive was all of it was four yards, seven yards, six yards. Notre Dame tackled everybody, gave up nothing, but Clemson just kept converting and kept moving. And that was where I was like, "Wow, DJ didn't get didn't get uh, impatient, didn't try to force anything down the field, took the short throws." Made the plays. One thing with him, for his size, he's he has not run with any physical presence at all. He goes down pretty easily. I, you know, I expected him to be a bulldozer uh, in short yardage like Cam Newton, and he hasn't done that. Maybe he'll get to that point, but he hasn't yet. 
But my other thing, my game within the game thing that I wrote about this week that was really interesting to me, uh, Clemson I, I, is the best in the country at stealing signals for plays. And I found out about this, Rhett Lashley, the Miami offensive coordinator, mentioned it before they played Clemson. So I was like, that's interesting. Tucked that in the back pocket and started asking around to people. And they're all like, oh, yeah. Oh, Clemson does it. Absolutely. I asked Brian Kelly on Thursday. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're ready for it. We're prepared for it. And if you watch the game, what Notre Dame did that they never do, they huddled and they called plays off the wristband uh, for book. And Kelly said that was absolutely a counteract to make sure that their their signals or their play calls uh, stayed secure. And it worked. Now, you know, how much they actually defused or not, I don't know. But uh, Notre Dame's offense moved, and uh, and Book was tremendous in this game. Yeah, that was a great story, Pat. I, I I was mostly angry because I'd heard those things for years, you know, just from different people around the ACC. And uh, the, 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 the line you had in the story that was great was like, they send in the signal at the absolute last second. So yeah, whatever voodoo guys they have on headsets or whatever, stealing these things, they get all the information to Venables in some streamlined way. And then he uh, then he sends in the in in the call. But it was it was definitely prescient because it was weird to see. Uh, I think Tariq even said on the broadcast, he's like, if you if those of you just started watching football, this is what we call a huddle. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, because of that. So it was good. But Pat, let me ask you this. You, you were there. To me, for Clemson, if, if I wake up this morning as a Clemson fan, I'm filled with regret about the drive where they get the ball back at 210 and they only manage to take 22 seconds off the clock and burn one timeout, which is just sort of like larceny clock management. And, and I'm curious just as you're there in the stadium and there's like delays and replays and like, should the clock start on the hold? And they're going back to like, I'm just wondering if that, how that unfolded there. And if there was a sense of the, of the lost opportunity for, for, for Clemson there. Definitely. Yeah. That drive. So they take over. That's after uh, they picked up the pass interference flag. Cause Dabo lost his mind on the refs. And then the, the Notre Dame students, which you could hear very clearly chanting F you Dabo for the rest of the game, basically. But yeah, so they they tried to run DJ. He got a yard. Uh, they tried to sweep with ETN. He lost five, and the chant really got going. And then they threw the bubble screen on third down to ETN, and he ran out of bounds, which was so uncharacteristic for a senior who's played so well. And, and Brian Kelly did make mention, said, yeah, that helped us out there, uh, saved us some time. So... That was that was very much a possession that uh, that Clemson did not handle really well. Well, when Notre Dame got down to the what was it the six or eight yard line on that last drive uh, after the long uh, reception, uh, they have two timeouts, and now you have to play the run. And, and you know, mm -hmm. and if yep. if you're Clemson, you can't just sit back in a zone or whatever. You've got to be worried that that Kyron Williams is going to run the ball. And, yep. and they might run it twice. And really, sure. I think the touchdown, was that the one where Book kind of faked the run and drew the linebacker off? Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I mean, that's – so that those those timeouts are huge. Absolutely. They did run the, the ball. Because of the strategy of the play call. Yeah, they ran the ball twice on that drive too, which they normally wouldn't have done if they were out of timeouts. But, yeah, Kyron Williams ran it once and Book scrambled once. If you if you can pack eight back in that, that you know, and, and guard the line for the Book – scramble it's really hard to complete a pass into an end and zone Dame, you, yeah Notre Dame's weakness ahead. has been the red zone this year right we all watched uh, yeah. the Louisville game we have seen that so yeah that that 
that you're right. That's a great point, Dan. It's a huge, uh, it's a huge swing. All right. Well, that was a great game. Uh, let's get to cocktail party. The other really hyped game uh, going into the week, sort of loser go home game in the SEC East, not sort of. Uh, and the uh, Bulldogs are the loser. Great game by Kyle Trask, Florida quarterback, 30 of 43, 474 yards and four TDs. Have himself a day. 44-28. The Bulldogs are up 14 zip off the bat. I think they scored the first play, right? 75-yard yeah. TD run. Yep. Gators don't panic. Dan Mullen gets his first win over them. They are now in the driver's seat in the SEC East, and they have a, if they can close it out, they have a a date likely with Alabama in Atlanta uh, where they can play, they can get into the playoff. So they have a control your own destiny trip to the college football playoff right now, which very few teams have. Um, I think as we talked, we've been saying pretty much the whole season, Georgia can't win a national championship with this level of quarterback play. And that was clearly apparent yesterday. If this was not going to be a slugfest that was going to be one 17 to 14, once it became a shootout, they just, they don't have anybody. They don't have the quarterbacks to do that. And uh, so they got run off the field. I think they, they could win with 28 points. They can score 28, but if their defense isn't capable of stopping at that level, and I don't know whether any defenses in the country are capable of, of I, I don't know that you can go into a game with a game plan anymore of we're going to win, you know, with the game in the teens or the low twenties. I, I just don't know if football's played that way in college. So it's like the Georgia is, is running a, a, a system that might've worked 10 years ago, but even Alabama knows they have to outscore you, you know, uh, that you just, these games are, the offenses are too good. So, uh, I think this is a this was not just a, a tough loss for Georgia, but it really was a sign of this team was never there. This program isn't there, and Florida is is on the rise. And I mean, obviously, you know, you're not going to have Kyle Trask for that long, but if they can keep that kind of offense going, they're there. An interesting game, you know. Obviously, Georgia doesn't have Richard the Count from his uh, dirt bike accident. Uh, Lewis Seen, the hard hitting safety, had a had a really dirty hit, quite frankly, on uh, Kyle Pitts, which, which knocked him out for the game, too. So, and, and look, if there's one thing Dan Mullen can do well, it's dial-up plays and matchups, and they probably ran 63 wheel routes yesterday to take advantage of the Georgia defense, and Kirby and Dan Lanning were never able to uh, were never, never able to adjust to that. Now, Jordan Davis, Georgia's big defensive tackle, was out for the game this year, so that that changes a lot of what they do uh, up front in the uh, in, in the game. But look, I really think this will go down as one of the important victories for Mullen because, for you know, look, he has two double digit win seasons. He's pulled them out of that rut of mediocrity they were in with uh, with McElwain and Muschamp. They are not recruiting at the level of Georgia. Few are, right? Like they're still a notch below where Georgia is. So for Florida, this is a statement to kids, especially in the state of Florida, stay here. You can go and win the SEC East. You can play for SEC championships. So, um, you know, it's not over, but it's pretty much a stranglehold on the East for Mullen. And uh, it, it will be a big step for that program as they build back to becoming national title contenders that they get to Atlanta this year. Do I think they can play with Alabama? No. Can they score with them? Maybe. You know, I don't know if we really saw a ton more from Florida's defense. I just think we saw them against a limited offense. When you, you know, I, I still have Kellen Mond in my mind when, when I think of what this Florida defense really is. Now, look, 
Todd Grantham's a good coordinator. He's been around a long time. His players are going to get better. There's all the lack of spring stuff. Like, like you, you can't judge people in a box. Like, there is going to be significant evolution of teams this year. So give Grantham credit for for you know, going down fourteen nothing and then finding ways to uh, finding ways to stop Georgia this year. And I do think seeing Mathis in the second half, like we got a little bit of a glimpse of why Stetson Bennett was playing, right? Like Kirby, Kirby saw him in practice every day. Mathis missed open guys. He was, he was fine. He was just, he was just okay. There was a little bit of wiggle and diamondism maybe there that, uh, that Stetson Bennett doesn't have. But at this point, if, if you're Kirby smart, you're, you're waking up knowing you don't have a quarterback and that that can't be a great feeling. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, what, we are headed, I think towards obviously a, a, an Alabama, Florida championship SEC game. But it's not going to look like any SEC championship game I could ever remember because it's going to be like 52 to 45. I mean, it's, it, that's, that is it. That is how you win SEC championships now. You know, kudos to, to Florida for getting that elevated, getting their offense elevated to that point that they, can, that they can match points theoretically with Alabama. I agree. I don't think they could stop Alabama, but, but they, can, they can put on a show with them if we get to that point, and it looks like we will. Uh, the amazing thing, a couple things here. If Felipe Franks doesn't get his leg rolled up on against Kentucky last year, we still may not have seen Kyle Trask. I mean, maybe he would have asserted himself at some point later, but he was on the bench behind Felipe Franks. And you look at him now, holy cow, is he good. And even you take out Kyle Pitts, who's the best tight end in the country, and he's still lighting up Georgia. That was super impressive. And yeah, Georgia, I think right now, let's see, they are 97th in the nation in pass efficiency. Uh, the transfer portal hadn't been good for them at the quarterback position. Justin Fields went out through it. Jamie Newman and JT Daniels came in through it, and neither have played a down for Georgia. Uh, Jamie Newman came in and then opted out from Wake Forest, uh, and it is not going to play for them. And then JT Daniels has come in and clearly physically just hasn't been ready to go because we would have seen him a long time before now. So your quarterbacks are Stetson Bennett and Dwan Mathis, and neither of them are ready to win in the SEC. So Georgia, despite all of its recruiting coups at every other position, the most important one they're lacking. Well, they have a kid named Brock Vandegrift number one rated quarterback in America per rivals and, you know, number two or whatever by everybody. Uh, kid out of us, uh, actually nearby, kind of the east suburbs of, of Atlanta, not far from Athens, Bogart, Georgia. And he is coming. Uh, he will sign. He's a class of 2020. He's tearing up high school football in Georgia right now. Uh, I don't know that he's the last, the last great Georgia quarterback was Trevor Lawrence. We'll see if he's that good, but I would not be surprised if that is the kid starting next year's cocktail party. And, you know, that that can change the Georgia program. I don't think we're, you know, it's not panic time at Georgia, but clearly this year they just were not, they were not the team that could that could get that get that going. All right, let's talk misery. Uh, not getting a whole lot more miserable than Penn State right now. Woo! Maryland football. Now, we are all aware of the history of Maryland football, which is, um, I think, Boomer Esiason played there or something, and that's... <laughs> it's about the last time anybody cared about Maryland football. Ralph right, Friedgen right. had one good year somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not much happening. Uh, uh, one of my alert uh, listeners, uh, they wanted to nominate Maryland football social media guy for small sample Heisman. I thought that was an inspiring <laughs> oh, tweet. Right. I, yeah. I'm sorry I cannot find that tweet, whoever you were. Anyway, this is how bad it is for, for Penn State. Mighty, historic Penn State. 
Maryland football tweet, Sad Valley. And it says, you were, we are. <laughs> and it's just, oh, man. <laughs> and there ain't a whole lot Penn State can say about it. Nope. Uh, 35-19. Penn State is 0-3. This team, uh, look, Micah Parsons opted out. Journey Brown ain't there. We well, you know disaster start to the season. This, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, James Franklin is not, we're not going to fire James Franklin. I mean, we fire a lot no. of coach. We fired Coach <laughs> O twice <laughs> on this podcast this year. But uh, this season is a lost cause for Penn State because there is not a lot going on. That team looks uninspired, non-talented, non-caring, uh, just an epic disaster. I can only imagine the the fire of a flag football game coming up when they play Michigan in a couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, what happened to Penn State this season? They're bad. Oof, they are. They're really bad. I mean, that you get housed by Maryland. Uh, I mean that that game was never ever close. Like Maryland jumped on them immediately. It was. 14 nothing. I think it was 21 nothing, And then it was 28-7, 35-7. And then, you know, Penn State put a little cosmetics on it late. And that was – that looked like, to me, a team that, A, like just felt like everything was over after losing to Ohio State. And, B, you wonder if they are opting out without literally opting out. You know, and I think we're going to see teams, if you're having bad seasons, there's going to be some, some lack of try out there. And – that may, that may be a harsh accusation against that team, but prove me wrong. Show up and play somebody. I mean, they have done nothing so far this season. They, they, they're, they're a bad football team right now. And, yes, they have had some, some significant losses. I mean, their best player, uh, Micah Parsons, who's a top-10 kind of pick, opted out. That's a huge hit. But you're Penn State. You're not supposed to just have one guy and then collapse. So uh, they've got to show me something. They are at Nebraska next week, which is also winless. So somebody's going to win a game. Congratulations. But I want to see him show up with a pulse and some fire. Yeah, it was it was striking how quickly that game unraveled. Like if you had told me Penn State would be up 35-7 in the third, Maryland wouldn't have a chance. I would have been like, yeah, that's the way this game is supposed to unfold. I believe it was Maryland's third victory over Penn State in the last 44 years. So I I, I wrote about this in, in takeaways uh, on, on Sunday or Saturday night, Sunday. It, it'll be interesting to see how the flops are viewed at the end of the year. Because going into the season, I'd be like, oh, this is a pandemic year. We're not going to view it in the same way. Well, that ain't happening, folks. No. Right? Didn't happen <laughs> at Southern Miss. Didn't happen at Utah State this weekend. That's not happening right now. So at a place like Penn State, where there would usually be some sort of staff repercussions for a you know, one-win, two-win season, what, whatever it is. I mean, they may be trending to have the worst season in school history in terms of winning percentage, right? So it, as you're doing that, as if you're James Franklin, do you say, well, we'll give Kirk Sorok a pass because, he, you know, he wasn't here and, and wasn't dealing with these people. Or, you know, I, obviously the defense looked like, you know, there were a lot of problems at Penn State, let, let's be honest. So I, I just really am curious – through the prism of judging these seasons, how they are going to be judged, you know, and then Pat Fryermuth, their really, really talented tight end, who's the best tight end in the country, not named Kyle Pitts. Like if you're him right now, are you hanging around till December 19th to play that like crossover game? Like that's happening. Like Pitt, one of Pitt's really good safeties just said, 
See you later. I'm going to the draft uh, last week. Like we're going to start to see business decisions, which are basically going to be counter to college football's business decision, which was let's rush these guys out and play. And it's going to be an inferior product and it's going to be messy and it's going to be weird. And we may have weekends where there's 10 postponed games. Well, kids are going to start having the same business decisions. Like if you're Pat Fryermuth, that you are doing a lot for good old state. You, if you're sticking around and you're not going to, Exos or something in, in training somewhere, a metaphorical draft prep, because what what more can you what more can you show right now? I mean, grinding, grinding things out for a, for a late season win over Michigan State. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. And look, college college sports has lost seeded the argument that this is anything but business. Now, they seeded it a long time ago, but it is this was the you know, this is like the end of uh, uh, my cousin Vinny. When when Vinny just mounts the, the you know the defense that is too strong for even the sheriff t- changes his, his his mind Sheriff Farley even gives up. I think it's time for a new set of glasses, ma'am. You can't sit there and be like, just we're just out here trying for old state. You we're gonna make you play three times in December in the middle of finals because we need Big Ten Network inventory. Okay, it's really hard to sit there and go, yeah, I'm gonna keep getting a thing stuck up my nose every single day. I'm not getting fans. Right. Uh, we're not. It's none of this is exciting. Yeah. It's freezing out. What am I doing? The draft is quicker. I'm not getting injured playing in some snowstorm somewhere in December 12th for you guys. So I agree. And, and there's another thing. And I think you see this with Michigan, too, because I oh, will switch to Michigan here. And we'll get to Indiana's great win because that was a great day for them. Uh, football in Indiana. Huge day. There's something to be said for teams like Penn State and Michigan that are filled with kids who are super high recruits who had great high school careers. They've never had to deal with the adversity of my team sucks. This yeah. sucks. Okay, they point. always won. I, I've, I've heard it. Pete, you probably have too. Like, there's a lot of NFL guys. They love kids from like the Mac. Like the Mac guy is going to show up and play because he wants to play and he knows how to get better. He has shown over the last, he's not just, I show up, I'm good, we win. It's like, no, this kid kept busting his ass at Akron during a two and nine season. <laughs> and that's what, right? So there's, I'm not saying Mac kids are better than Big Ten kids because they generally aren't, but there's something to be said when it's even. You see Penn State giving up. Michigan, I thought they would respond with heart. They got humiliated by Michigan State. And they are playing a team with, they have, should have more talent than Indiana. And they played, with no heart. Absolutely embarrassing. And so I, I think these teams that are should be good and they're all of a sudden bad, it's just going to spiral the wrong way. Now, we'll see. That's my hypothesis. But, man, Penn State and Michigan are giving me some, some bit. Because uh, Michigan, they rushed for 13 yards That's on incredible. 18 attempts against Indiana. When Michigan can't blow Indiana off the line, if nothing else in the history of college football, you could say Indiana, Michigan, just run the damn ball, Wolverines. They couldn't run the ball. That is no heart. Harbaugh is done there. It's got to, I mean, he can't, they're not going to fire him. It, it, this is not going to last. This is a humiliation. Indiana, congratulations. Unbelievable start to this season. I think they should be ranked in the top 10. I don't know what the polls came out. They're 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 crushed. I mean, what what a dream start for Indiana taking nothing away from them. But man, was that humiliating 
Tom Allen should be the coach of the year. All right. End the race. End the race. We don't need our friend John King with the maps and where the boats are coming from, or whatever it is. Tom Allen is the national coach of the year. He has done the singular best job and he has done what Michigan has failed to do. He has built and developed a program like that. That rushing stat is jarring because there is no way from a pure raw talent standpoint in terms of recruits and guys brought in that Indiana is better than Michigan. But let me tell you, I, I watched a good chunk of that game yesterday. Indiana has better players like this was not there was nothing fluky spread like no there was nothing about it they went toe-to-toe with them and absolutely punked them there was just it was in in no way anyone who watched that game think Michigan was the was the better team so give credit for the patience of program well building the enduring of so many close losses that Indiana's had over the years to get to this point. It was, uh, it was awesome. But I, at this point, and I wrote, wrote this in takeaways uh, over the weekend, it's like, okay, now you're Michigan and the Harbaugh era has not worked out. All right. And it is probably going to end. It could go into some one long painful final season next year, but like, the, the writing's on the wall. The fan base is completely out on Harbaugh. It'd be hard for the administration to stick with him. So who do you hire? I think it's that that's the most fascinating question we're going to have for the rest of the season. I did a uh, back of the napkin list last night in, uh, in, in my takeaways column. And let, let me tell you this right away. There's no easy answer. We'd have to determine, like, Luke Fickle, sure. Is Luke Fickle really lifelong Buckeyes, never lived outside the state of Ohio? It is ground in his soul to hate Michigan. Is he all of a sudden going to roll into Ann Arbor? I don't know. Maybe, but I don't. Work I don't think Shem, that's work for Shem Beckler. Yeah, Luke Fickle. But I don't know. Luke yeah. Fickle's a different cat now. Uh, yeah. So, do you row the boat? Do you hire PJ Fleck? Matt Campbell would probably be my leader in the clubhouse, odds wise. The Iowa State coach, he fits that Michigan mold. If your recruiting is that bad, and you need a jolt of energy. What that program does? Do you do you hire PJ Fleck? I mean, they saw what he did at Western Michigan. Does that? Does that carry over? Do you hire Dave Clawson from Wake Forest who fits sort of the the Michigan mold of the academic regime? And Dave Clawson has proven over the years that that he can figure out how to maximize bad programs and and, and really revitalize them and make them better. Like seemingly a good a good strategy from a head coaching chair could could do Michigan some good. But like none of those are you can sit there and say, oh, yes. And in two years, they'll be beating the pants off Ohio State. Unless they can get fickle, I think they all come with the thing. The other one I would be interested in is Robert Sala, who's the defensive coordinator sure. of the 49ers. He grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, and is a – I don't know whether he can be a head coach or a college coach. He did a little college work early, but he's been an NFL guy. But that's one impressive-type dude. But, yeah, no, I, I, I it, it will be a big topic of discussion because I don't see how this lasts, and I think – Harbaugh finds his way to the NFL, and I mean that's just that's just tea leaves looking because this is uh, this is bad. But uh, I agree, great times for Indiana. We'll talk a lot of Indiana. All right, further misery. We ain't done. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's so much misery. Let's get quickly to UCLA. Ah, okay. UCLA <laughs> starts the season. They lose to Colorado and Carl Durrell, who they once fired. <laughs> For reason, for good yeah, reason. Right now, but back in 2007, Chip he Kelly's never had a now set- season. Carl Durrell. Carl Durrell's been miscast a little bit. He was Did like he never. Oh, he I just mediocre he had a losing season. Yeah, well, that's just, true. He was just bland. I believe he made a bowl every year. I, I, I I'm all right. I, I take that. it back. The goal, the salad days of Bruins football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, you L.A. salad days are a lot, a lot of kale. It's like kale <laughs> in the other side. Go to like a, you know, go to Texas. You're going to get like a taco salad. Much better <laughs> salad days. Uh, UCLA uh, loses. Uh, Kelly's 7-18. and 18. He's, he's, he's his budding acting career in the All-American, uh, notwithstanding, until that pans out, he's in trouble. So that's not the way you want to start uh, that season. Pat, you can talk. He's, why don't we just do? We'll got to speed this up because we got so much misery. So, yeah. Look, it's a disaster for Chip. It is terrible out there. His start to his tenure. This is whoa, it's bad. All right. He started his first season 0 and 5, uh, started last season 0 and 3, and they were minus 2, minus 2, minus 2 in turnover margin. Then they're playing a Colorado team that some people thought might be the worst in the Pac 12. They've got a new coach who had no time to implement anything. Quarterbacks are gone. They're starting a converted safety at quarterback. And they give up 48 points, and they have a minus four turnover margin. I mean, it was an unmitigated disaster. I think they were behind like 24, 28 nothing. It might even have been worse than that. So whatever Chip Kelly is doing to get his teams ready, it's not working. It's not only not working, it's failing so incredibly badly that it's it's almost comical at this point. Like, what do you possibly do in the preseason to prepare to play competitive football? Whatever it is, start over. I mean, it's well, just in their terrible. case, they didn't do anything because of COVID. They didn't well, practice. I know that's true. That's true. <laughs> and I mean, if you look, but so you know what? Same with USC, which actually beat Arizona State, you know, so. If you're if you're going to play two teams in the same county operating under the same uh, restrictions, one of them had a good win and the other one just embarrassed itself again. So, wow, Chip Kelly, I'm just I am stunned at the at the the lack of ability to get anything going at UCLA. Let me correct the record on Carl Durrell quickly. Six and seven with a bowl his first year, six and six with a bowl his second year. 10 and 2 with a Sun Bowl win in 2005, 7 and 6 with a bowl loss in 2006. He got fired at 6 and 6. So his five years at UCLA went 35 and 27, all of those years better than any of Chip Kelly's years. Yeah. All right. Virginia Tech. Uh, <laughs> Liberty's taking a 59. <laughs> They're tied with Liberty last second. Q Freeze, the, 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 the money that is just going to be backed up. Everyone's going to forget Hugh Freeze, block his cell phone to certain calls, and give him seven million a year. Hello Auburn, or somewhere, or Tennessee. I don't know, but Hugh Freeze is getting it done. We never said he couldn't coach. <laughs> never said that. Tie game against Virginia Tech, fifty-nine yard field goal. Justin Fuente. Uh, the, the 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 kick goes off. It is blocked and returned, I think, all the way for a touchdown. Yes. Virginia Tech has won the game, and then it's revealed Justin Fuente called timeout just before. Liberty gets another shot at it, hits it, and wins it. Ouch. <laughs> Coach, what you doing to us, man? That, if you had to start ranking painful losses uh, at the fault of coaches Justin Fuente probably has the number one ranking this season we could that would be like a good April pod when we have nothing to talk about just just like <laughs> yeah. dissecting Who screwed up the worst yes that. but I think in, in Justin Fuente knew he did fell on the sword for it so as compelling as like the the Michigan crumbling is right now I do think this Hugh Freeze renaissance is going to be equally fascinating because 
the ethical thresholds of universities. And if you look at the college basketball scandal, so Freeze has two pots that are really against him right now. There's the personal failings with the calling escorts, and then there's leaving a program in an NCAA dumpster fire. If you look at the college basketball scandal, clearly at the presidential level and athletic director, people don't care if you break NCAA rules anymore. So that now, some don't anyway. You can find someone of your uh, ethical low threshold. Um, the personal failings part may be like a little bit trickier. Um, I don't think there's a match for a freeze after this season, but I do think within the next 24 months, he ends up back in the SEC, giving Greg Sankey one of the bigger migraines <laughs> that he's ever received. Um, Hugh Freeze is a really good football coach. Look what he's done with Malik Willis, who was a spare part at Auburn, who's just having a tremendous season at quarterback there. The Freeze teams are fun to watch. They are well coached. They score points. You know, he's a great he's a great play caller. There is uh, there is there is no doubt about it. And uh, he's already writing his revisionist history. Oh, it's it's remarkable. It really is. <clears throat> and I will say, as difficult as it may be to come to the conclusion. I would say, hold on, Pete Thamel and John King at the magic board. Not all the votes are in on Coach of the Year. Hugh Freeze 7-0 at Liberty. Uh, let's count Chatham County. Let's count Maricopa County. And Nevada <laughs> will be in like in, in January or so. And then we'll see where we Mecklenburg stand. Mecklenburg for Tom Allen. <laughs> <laughs> they should do the Heisman that way, right? Yeah, yeah. Do it up. Do it up. I mean, worth mentioning now. Coastal Carolina, who keeps rolling, oh my god, and and is good, could win a league that is better than the Big Twelve. Ah. They play. They hey. beat them up. Hey, they beat them three and zero, baby. Coastal plays Liberty on December fifth. Oh my, that is a potential massive game. Yeah, in this undefeated playoff Coastal case. Carolina against undefeated Liberty. <laughs> I mean, two they top had, 20 Nobody teams. had that on the 2020 Big yeah. And if this year, we don't know. I mean, look, there's a whole bunch of BYU sitting there going, we should be in. They're, BYU's like the votes are in, right? They're <laughs> yeah. playing North Alabama and San Diego State. They need to schedule another game. Yeah, if they can. BYU needs to find a game. Coastal and Liberty both have a case. Cincinnati's obviously there. You're going to have Texas A&M's like, we beat Florida, but they don't, they're not going to get a chance. And then you got Notre Dame with a Clemson win in your back pocket. Like, anyway, we'll see how this all plays out. There's other San Jose State, Nevada, Marshall. Some others are, in, you know, I want to give everyone their shot still. Uh, but that Coastal Liberty game on December 5th is a showdown. <laughs> I don't want to give Coastal the App State game. To win the Sun Belt, you still got to beat App State the way they've dominated that league well, the past few okay, years. Now, they well, had their loss at Marshall. But, like, I'm. I'm I'm going to I am not going to crown the mullets of Coastal quite yet. Okay. Killjoy. Right, let's, nope. Let's ah. get back to miserable. Miserable. Sully, you didn't get out of the woods, buddy. Tennessee Falls. Oh, I, I was waiting for it. Sully, did Coastal Leading. cover? I don't remember. Coastal, I think, failed to cover by like a half a point, right? Yeah, they, they did. did. Sully uh, went by half got hooked. You got oh, hooked. Sully's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad. His coach can't count day. <laughs> <laughs> Loses on the hook. Uh, Tennessee Falls up 13 and 13 zip on the fighting Sam Pittman's. And uh, they end up losing 24-13, a second-half collapse. We said this is like, I, I don't like to overreact. I mean, we like to overreact, but I try to give some you know, some consolation to Tennessee. Uh, you lose to Bama, things like that. Not this one. No. Uh, Double-digit loss to the ar rebuilding Arkansas. Brutal loss for Jeremy Pruitt. 
I mean, it's square, it's square one three years in. And Arkansas, look, we love this team. They are, I've watched more Arkansas than I ever thought I would this year. I just like the way they play. They just play a good, solid football game, but it's not a great team. It's just, it's just a team, but they, they hammered Tennessee in that second half. Way more will to win, way better execution, great blitz, just blitz calls, things like that. And uh, Tennessee has no quarterback, total mess. So let me ask Sully this. Did Jim Chaney do what Jim Chaney does and like abandon the run and start passing the ball around in the third quarter to invite the opposition back in the game? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I think, what a surprise. Uh, and, and the losing streak so far through Kentucky, Alabama, Georgia, it is 61 points to seven points in the third quarter for uh, Tennessee opponents. Not good. Strong halftime adjustments there. Very good. Yeah, we're really good coaching. Uh, yes, and obviously they can't count. They they bungled the uh, they bungled the field goal to cut it from eleven to eight. And uh, the the little the little snippets I saw, of, I was actually watching at that point, and I actually texted. Sully, I was like, "Why didn't they kick it there?" Because I had the Notre Dame game volume on, and I wasn't watching it. Yeah, so I got back a few hours later with just some like sad emojis. <laughs> That's yeah. Their 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 point total the la- during this losing streak twenty one seven seventeen thirteen. And as we have pointed out, it's time to score in the SEC. That ain't that that gets you like in the bottom fourth of the league. Here, that 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 program is going nowhere. Yeah, thank God they fired the D line coach. Yeah, right. That saved everything. All right, there is even more misery out there. There's a miserable. There's a lot of misery in the country in college football world right now. But uh, we can only get so much. So we'll be back Wednesday. Don't worry. We'll get to you. We'll get to your pain and suffering. We don't believe in waiting to the end of the year to hand out the Heisman. So we hand it out every week. Small sample Heisman. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? Pat, who won your Heisman this week? Uh, I am going to Friday night, uh, which was a really fun night of college football in three different games. But I'm going to give it to Derek King, the quarterback at Miami. They were in a shootout with North Carolina State. Miami's defense couldn't stop anybody. They were behind most of the game, and they just needed Derek King to just keep slinging and keep running, and boy, did he. 31 of 41 for 430 yards and five touchdowns passing. 15 carries for 105 yards rushing. That is 535 yards. They needed every one of them. They pull out the win. They're 6-1, and and... It's so funny. We usually look at the ACC and say, well, it's Clemson and a bunch of junk. Well, this year it's Clemson and Notre Dame and don't sleep on the Canes. They are not a great team by any stretch, but they're six and one. They've put together a very good season uh, and they do not play Notre Dame. So they, you know, they've got Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, North Carolina. Could they win out and be sitting there at uh, be 10 and one? It's not out of the question. I have to give an ode to Maction. The return of the Mac on Wednesday night was a delightful distraction from whatever else may have been going on in the country at that point. Uh, my small sample Heisman goes to Buffalo Mighty Might Jarrett Patterson. Uh, 5'9", generously listed, 195 pounds. Think of Notre Dame's Kyron Williams, but maybe a little smaller package. 20 carries, 137 yards, two touchdowns at a 56-yard run. Buffalo rolled over Northern Illinois, 49-30. to and if you follow the Mac, somebody told you Buffalo would be rolling into Northern Illinois and curb stomping them five, ten years ago, they would have looked at you cross-eyed. So way to go, Jared Patterson. He's uh, Chase Young's best friend from uh, growing up there in the Maryland area and uh, the most dynamic player in the Mac. All right, I'm going Friday night also. Zach Wilson, BYU. 
quarterback uh, who could, uh, I don't think he'll win the real Heisman, but he could. Uh, on the season, 2,511 yards, 75% completion rating, 21 touchdowns and two picks. His QB rating is 206, 200.6, according to whatever ESPN stat thing is. Sounds good. I don't know yeah. how they're... I don't really know what that means. I don't know what that means, but it seems impressive. It's good. It's uh, good. 21 of 27 on Friday night as BYU goes to Boise and dominates in a, in a show of force and a look-at-us playoff committee, 51-17, Boise's not bad, I don't think. It's not easy to win up there. Uh, this was they—they they needed to make a statement. They made a statement. Like I said, they have two kind of easy games the rest of the way. They need a game. They need to like find a game somewhere. Zach Wilson gets my small sample highs. He's moving way up in the NFL draft rankings too. Brilliant season, brilliant game for him. Uh, all right, we've said a lot of mean things on the podcast uh, per usual. This is our challenge to say something nice. Can we say anything nice? I can. I can. It, it, it doesn't come naturally, but I can do it. And I'm going to say something nice about a team and a coach that we have said many mean things about in recent years. The USC Trojans and Clay Helton. Quite an incredible, improbable comeback. They're playing a 9 a.m. kickoff in their season opener against Arizona State. ASU is up 27-14 to 14 late in the game. It looks like, oh, here we go again with USC. Then Keaton Slovis leads an 80-yard drive to score. Touchdown pass to Brew McCoy, a five-star recruit whose recruitment was one of the great soap operas of all time. He was at Texas. He was at USC. He was at, wasn't eligible to play last year. He's eligible to play. Scores 27-21. USC onside kick. It works. They get it. They drive down, and they score the winner. Uh, incredible comeback. And the Pac-12 is back with some nice entertainment. Uh, it's usually Pac-12 after dark. This was Pac-12 before brunch, and it was a lot of fun. I am going to say something nice about Rutgers. They are losing with flair. They are America's <laughs> tricked-out team. How many laterals? I believe they had two special teams lateral passes against Ohio State yesterday. They obviously had the uh, the, the the Statue of Liberty 19 lateral thing that got called back against uh, two weeks ago now. Uh, Greg Schiano is making – like the one takeaway from Rutgers Ohio State yesterday other than that Justin Fields is otherworldly – was that like Rutgers is trying, Rutgers is interesting, Rutgers is keeping its players engaged. In, in these COVID times, it's a, it's a genius strategy. And like when you see a Rutgers highlight pop up on the screen, you're excited to kind of see what they do next. So give Shiano credit for doing that. I, I can't get enough lateral goodness. That was one of the best. That wasn't a lateral. That was a full width of the field pass. Yeah, that's like a 40-yard pass, right? You had to Love. chuck it. Yeah. 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 And they did two that of them. Yeah, too. Huh? I think one on a punt. I don't know if I've ever seen one you on a punt. Have, you might as well have fun with it. It's yeah. literally the season with no expectations. You suck. You're playing Ohio State. <laughs> you're playing like, Ohio State. You're, you're going to lose by 70. And yeah. You just hope some kids are watching in Ohio that are like, yeah, that team looks fun. The Buckeyes ain't recruiting me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's that's all you're going for. Sure. Everyone else in the country is watching the Notre Dame uh, Clemson game. They don't want you know, when they put Ohio State on Big Ten Network, you know, it's, it's no annoying. All right, I'm going to say something nice about Northwestern. Hey. Northwestern, uh, 3-0. and Great call. They, are, they beat Nebraska yesterday, 21-13. It was not a great game for them, but they've got a balanced attack. It is a classic Northwestern team. 
let me say this. Their schedule is intriguing. First off, they own a 43-3 victory over Maryland, yeah. which does no longer looks that bad. I thought they were going to be the worst team in the Big Ten. They've beaten Iowa. They've now beaten Nebraska. They have Purdue coming up. There is a Wisconsin showdown, but who knows? That may, may happen, may not. We don't know what Wisconsin season's going to happen. That's in two weeks. Is Wisconsin going to play this year? I don't know. Then they got Michigan State, Minnesota, and Illinois. They can very easily be, especially if Wisconsin gets canceled. And again, I have no idea. You could be 7-0 and walking into the Big Ten championship game. Northwestern. And they're playing really well, and the, the, the fortunes are parting for them. They definitely have more young talent than they used to be used to have. It's a pretty good skill. So Northwestern football, uh, usually kind of this cute little program, does all right, Pat Fitzgerald. They got a little more on that this year, and uh, they're in a lot in the way. So I'm saying something nice about Northwestern. I have a feeling towards the end of the year we're going to be talking purple, and uh, you don't see that every year. So that is our podcast this week. A lot of overreaction. We'll be back on Wednesday for more. Uh, we're going to break down this whole playoff chase as it starts starting out. Season's kicking up. Everyone's going. And uh, we appreciate y'all listening. Please subscribe. Keep listening. Share us on social media. Tell your friends about us. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.